I'm Kimberly C. Palm. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. Well, Mike, it's really great to have this conversation with you. We have you've not been on my podcast and I I'm a little bit embarrassed about that because I use your thinking and your strategies pretty much throughout my 22 years of being in this field because you're so unique when it comes to really supporting community liaisons and training them how to have those hard conversations. So finally, I am happy to have you on my podcast because we've been working together for many, many years. So welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think uh, like a lot of things in life, um, the time is right when the time is right. So I'm really thrilled to be here and we'll make sure that the next time we do this, uh, there's not 22 years in between. No way. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So before we jump in, I really love to ask this question of, of how have you come into the field that I have fallen in love with called hospice and palliative care and end of life? Um, even how, how did, how did you trip into this? Well, um, Kimberly, I, I have always been a serial entrepreneur and I was uh, involved in an investment group back in 1994. And, uh, we were looking for an industry that had certain attributes and long story short, um, I always tell people I, I got into the industry for all the wrong reasons. I got into it as an investment and um, fell in love with what we do for the community and for the patients and families that, that we touch. Um, so was on the operational side. We sold the company. I uh, started a consulting firm in 2000 to help with, because well, I was always very good at at you know telling the story and getting people to um, you know to 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 you know to become hospice patients or home health patients or whatever and um, you know that that was something that I loved and and since I'm not a nurse um, I I can't do a lot of things um, but um, I just love the fact that if we can help more people understand what hospice is and what it isn't. Um, how palliative care works and everything else that, um, you know, we make a huge difference in the lives of, of our communities, um, one patient and family at a time. So I just feel extremely blessed to have been um, connected with uh, an amazing industry uh, that's been my, uh, my career for the last 20 something years, almost 27 years now. Um, and it, I didn't. I didn't go into it from an altruistic standpoint. I, I came into it as a, a capitalist. So I I, uh, I just feel very very blessed to have been uh, put in that position. Now, am I wrong? You did once live in North Carolina, didn't you? Yeah, I lived in Chapel Hill for twenty years. Okay, but now now you're in Austin, Texas, right? No, uh, El Paso, Texas. El Paso. Now, what took you there? I met uh, a lady that. Uh, we uh, fell in love, and um, she is uh, the owner of a uh, 
Christmas store in El Paso. And uh, I have to say that, um, you know, the first thing when I had met her, I said, you know, who lives in El Paso? And um, I, I have discovered that it's it's really a delightful uh, community. It's in the mountains. We're at the very tip of the Rocky Mountains. Um, the the weather's amazing. The people are nice. The cost of living is low. And as you know, as a as a consultant and speaker and author, you um, spend a lot of time traveling, no matter where you live, because uh, you know somehow experts came always come from somewhere else. Right. So um, I've I've really. Um, Really enjoyed it here. Took up playing tennis and um, uh, have um, have really grown to love El Paso. So there's my my uh, my plug for the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that for the longest time you were right down the street from me when I was living in Wilmington. And um, yeah, I, I just twenty years in Chapel Hill. That's amazing. Um, but really, how we connected? I guess it's been twelve gosh, so many years ago, was that I was working for a, a growing nonprofit in North Carolina and always thinking outside the box of how do I continue to educate about a topic that nobody wants to talk about. And you created, oh my gosh, such a, you had an approach, I will say, that was so unique and still unique other than in whatever, I've, I've seen a lot of things, what people are doing out there, but you to me bring your heart into how you teach individuals how to educate in the community about uh, services within the home. Now, talk to me, what, how, what, how would you define uh, what you do? Well, we, um, Healthcare Strategica, um, assists hospice organizations, healthcare organizations, um, home health agencies, um, integrated agencies to um, grow strategically. And we, we do um, consulting and training uh, related to everything from making the phone ring to you know, getting the patient um, on service. So everything from phone ringing to the admission visit is really the scope of what we focus on. And as you know, the, the, the front end of the process is, is so important because um, if there's any kind of uh, misconceptions or uh, misunderstandings or anything else, we're, we're, you know, in hospice, we're dealing with people who have just been told um, that their loved one has a terminal condition. And they may be early in the um, in that process or they may be you know imminently dying and anywhere in between. But at the end of the day, uh, the families and the patient are not in are in a bad place and, and need help. And you know I think that um, our job is to help make sure that, um, organizations really have optimized their processes, humanized their processes, and um, you know used best practices so that that process is as smooth and easy and comforting as is possible for the patients and families. Um, and I think that, uh, as you know, it, it varies greatly uh, from organization to organization. But sometimes not enough um, attention is really paid to what, how those conversations go, um, you know, to, to actually connect a, a patient, an appropriate patient and their family with 
a hospice program. Well, I, I have to confess that I use your strategy and it is very successful. And anyone, um, if you're in, in home, in home health, hospice, Mike has this strategy that is so unique. Um, and I encourage everyone to, to really get any, any kind of training from you because every time I do a training with you, I walk away with something new and I've been in this business. uh, I should say field. I don't like the word business, but this field for 22 years, right? This, uh, advocation. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, just to give, you know, organizations sort of a, a top high level, um, viewpoint of really how you help organizations grow intentionally because it is strategic. And what, in your opinion, are some key elements in teaching referral sources about your product? My product has always been hospice care. So if you wanted to take that, I mean, how do we get into these referral sources? Because even defining a referral source, you know, there's so many of them if you really think outside the box. Oh, yeah. There's there's an infinite number. And, you know, um, Kimberly, it's, it's, it's funny. Sometimes uh, we'll be training in an organization and We'll have like a hospice nurse who, you know, crosses her arms and says, look, you know, I'm not in sales. I didn't get into um, hospice. And this is, you know, this has all become about the numbers. And and my answer always is, yeah, it is about numbers. It's about ones. They're little stick figures. And it's one patient and one family at a time. And I think um, whatever the referral partner that um, that you're talking with or, or, you know, working with, the key is to be very clear um, on what your value to them is. What's the value proposition? And then do a really good job of, of needs assessment selling. So find out what they need and then help connect um, them with your services as the logical solution, um, which sounds very easy. And, and it really is a fairly simple process. But I think that... Um, what is, is so key is, is getting the relationship of the referral partner from being a transactional one where we're responding when they reach out and say, hey, we have a patient, to becoming that resource for them so that when they have a difficult situation, uh, an acute patient who's got certain um, issues or problems, or I mean, certainly family dynamics is, is never a problem in, um, in hospice, but whatever the complicating factors are that that triggers in their mind to reach out to you and say, you know, Kimberly, I've got a patient that, you know, or I've got a situation that because we want to get them thinking about those patients and what's going on with them, whether it's a exacerbation of their condition, they've been hospitalized multiple times They're, you know, we're struggling to keep them safe at home. There's, you know, the, the family caregivers are just up in arms, but whatever it may be, that those are the things that trigger the call, not someone saying, you know what, I think, you know, Mr. Smith needs hospice. Because if we wait for the rest of the world to come to that conclusion, we end up with a lot of patients and families who don't get the opportunity to have a really full and meaningful hospice experience. because. They're, they're referred late. And, and so I think getting, 
getting the rest of healthcare to look at us as a pre-acute provider as well as post-acute um, is 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 the real breakthrough. You know, where they they just think, gosh, I don't know what to do with this patient. We're pulling our hair hair out. They're in and out of our waiting room. They're in and out of the ER. They're in and out of the hospital. All of those things, you know, we're running out of treatment options, things like that that you and I hear and we go, well, have you thought about a hospice? But no, they haven't because that's not how they were taught or not how they, you know, are wired. So if we can position ourselves as the resource when you have just a really challenging case, we won't be able to admit all of them to hospice. Many of them would benefit from palliative care, or it may be that they're, they're going to be more appropriate for home health, or just getting social work involved to get them some, some help or connecting them with community resources, whatever it is. But, but if we're viewed by our referral partners as being a resource to help them with their toughest patients and, and the ones that you know are, are the highest acuity um, patients, then we're going to get those patients on earlier you know, and get them on appropriately. And that's just going to benefit everybody because it makes the referral partner's life easier. It certainly makes the patient and, and family's lives easier. And at the end of the day, then we, as the hospice um, sales professional or, or, or hospice agency, have the opportunity to serve that patient. I totally agree. And, and there's a couple of things you said, you know, providing quality, being a resource, and, and that comes with doing a lot of your homework before you ever enter um, into a referral sources community or clinic or doctor's office or a hospital. And, and really, it is about building trust um, and, and being uh, available. Um, it, totally. But this is what I've seen over the years, and I'm sure you've seen it too, is getting the wrong person in a liaison's position. And and my question to you is, how do we find the right people for, for this sort of education or probing? Or, I mean, what, in your opinion, is a right person for someone to come into this field of end of life um, and help educate individuals? Because a lot of people are scared to educate doctors. You know, and... and I've been in the business a long time and I'm not scared anymore um, because I've talked to so many of them and become that resource. So what is the right person in your mind to do this sort of job? Well, I think, um, you know, what, what we recommend and we have a, a whole, you know, sales management um, course with interview questions and all types of you know, how to approach it and how to, you know, how to handle your recruiting and, and then the onboarding and whatnot. But I think um, the, the, one of the biggest keys to me is, is ascertaining that the individual that we're, we're considering has the ability to be passionate about what they do. Um, you know, so, and that's, that's a huge intangible, right? Um, it's not something that you can typically, um, you know, it's going to be on their resume, so to speak. But, but I always look at, if you're looking, starting with resumes, Look for people that have, you know, extensive volunteer experience or are passionate about, you know, a disease process or a, a community need or, you know, are involved in their community that when they were in college, they also did volunteer work or, you know, raised money for this out of the other. Whatever you can pick up on that gives you an idea that, you know, this person has a heart. 
Um, and, and the most successful, in my opinion, hospice sales professionals are those who are so truly passionate about the difference that hospice makes um, and that they know when and how to let that passion come through. Um, you know, I always wince at, and, and you see this a lot, somebody gets hired and they had a, a really good hospice experience with their grandmother. So immediately then their, their sales um, approach becomes to go out and try and tell the world how wonderful it was to have hospice for their grandmother. Well, okay, that's nice, but it's all about them and not about the referral partner. And, and rarely does that, you know, if that's, if that's the extent of their, what they're talking about, um, they're, they're just not going to get very far. But um, the other thing that, that we look for in interview processes is that they ask good questions and are a good listener, that they, they truly, you know, engage with you when you're interviewing them. But at the same time, they're, they're asking you questions and finding out about you and finding out about your hospice organization um, appropriately, because that tells you that, that they already have that skill set, which is critical to me in, in, in really building the, the pre-acute uh, services is to be able to ask those good questions and then be an active and, and compassionate listener. Oh man. And, and I have to concede there, myself included sometimes in my personal life, listening is the last thing on my mind. And you, it, it is a, it is a skill to be an active listener. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a practice that to ask the question and then shut up. And because you, I think I know I learned this from you is like the physician loves to hear himself talk. So ask the question and just let him talk and, and be that listener because they want to hear themselves right. um, talk. So that is a step in building trust. Trust is listening. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, I, I, a good friend um, once shared this with me and I've always um, felt strongly about it is, you know, listen to understand not listen to speak because so many people they're listening and their mind is trying to race to what's the next thing they're going to say, as opposed to listening to understand what the other person is saying and then responding appropriately, or in most cases, just let them keep talking. You know, those, those additional probes where somebody's talking about what their challenges are, you know, and you say, well, tell me more about that. Or, well, how does that affect you? And who else does that affect? Um, you know, just simple further probes like that and get them to continue talking and then, you know, be an active and empathetic listener. And it really it is the key to me to success in the role. I, uh, I mean, you're, you're speaking my language only because I feel like I am a warrior for you because I have used you and have been very successful in the way you approach things. Um, and and you do. You have a really unique um, training material that I have used, even with um, training new salespeople with no hospice experience. But like you said, has that empathy, active listening skills. I can teach them hospice. Right. I just can't teach them how to care and be passionate and be empathetic and be an active listener. Those are skills that people need to to come at you know come to the table with. So you know. <laughs> hospice is not the easiest thing to 
to sell. And back in the day, uh, we're both from North Carolina. You know, I work with Lower Cape Fear Hospice, which you put that fear in front of hospice, it just (laughs) sort of just tips me over the edge. You know what I mean? They made it doubly impossible. But, you know, how do we really create community partners to be loyal to our service. Because, you know, I North Carolina was a CON state. And for those who don't know, that's you have to have a certificate of need. Uh, you have to prove the need before you can operate. In Colorado, where I'm now presently living, there is no CON state. So anyone could start a hospice. But, but how in amongst of 80 other hospices, do you become that unique partner to create loyalty? In your opinion, how do you do that? Well, um, it, it's it's one referral partner at a time. And again, being able to um, clearly communicate to them what the value proposition is. And, you know, for, when, and as you know, I'm, I'm a, I like simple because simple works. Um, but, at the end of the day, you know, as a hospice sales professional, my value proposition is that I make hospice easy for the doctor. I make hospice easy for the um, the staff in the office or the discharge planner at the hospital or whatever. And so um, it's, you know, having those conversations with them, since if you're competing and um, you're trying to break into a market, um, you can go out and, and ask questions like, you know, well, what, what do you, what's, you know, what do you dislike the most about hospice or what would you change to make hospice really work? Cause whatever they tell you is going to be about whoever they're using now. It's not you because you don't have a relationship with them. Um, and then, you know, just really probe as to, um, how, you know, what's important to them when they, they select a, a hospice organization. And continue to weave into all of your conversations with them your value proposition, which again is to make their lives easier. And easy works. Um, if I can, if I can be the easier option, then I'll have the opportunity to get some of their referrals. And then that's when the magic happens because you've got to really step it up and be very visible and very, um, you know, very communicative about what's going on and and continue to underscore the things that you feel like and you know that that do make their lives easier so um, it, it's it, it's a tough job um, I but I you know it's it's always uh, interesting Kimberly when when you get like I'll have a room full of, of, of people from all over the country and the ones that are in the um, Colorados the non-CON states, um, when they hear about, you know, the person from North Carolina that's a CON state and, and they only have three competitors, you know, all of a sudden they're like, wow, that would be so great. And the ones in the room that have three competitors are going, oh, no, you don't seem to understand. <laughs> so it's tough. And it's tough on either side. Breaking into an account and, and developing that account relationship, which is the same whether you have one competitor or you know, a hundred, it's one at a time and it's getting to their needs and really helping them see how you can help them with patients that they haven't been identifying for hospice. And, and as you know, one of the biggest objections that, um, that we hear in hospice uh, going into to physician practices 
is the one that goes something like, oh, we really don't um, refer from the office. We let the discharge planner handle it. Because that tells you that they are purely looking at hospice as a post-acute provider. And their way of practicing medicine is essentially, and, and you can't say it to them like this because <laughs> it doesn't sound too good, um, is that we're going to let people get sick enough that they land in the hospital multiple times before anybody ever says hospice. And if we just would identify those patients earlier in the office and refer them, then um, you know we, we avoid those hospitalizations. And the magic of, of bringing not only better quality of life, but quantity of life comes in. Because we know that the research studies show us that Patients on hospice live longer than those same patients that are not on hospice. So same cohort of patients, so same disease process, everything else. And the only difference is this one's on hospice and this one's not. The, the patients, as you know, on hospice live dramatically longer with chronic diseases. They're caught early and referred early um, for you know, some of the, the more common chronic diseases like CHF and COPD. Um, it's, you know, 80, 90 days of additional life at end of life. And, and I always say, you know, if I can get people, you know, better quality and dignity and all the things that we do in hospice and increase the length of life at end of life, I mean, how cool is that? Um, and, and so getting those, those referral partners to understand how that works, um, if, if they're not referring from the office for hospice, then you really have no competition. They're working with a hospice, whoever it is that's picking up their patients coming out of the hospital. Um, if you're in a very crowded market such as yours, um, where there's you know the, the, the fight for those patients coming out of the acute care settings is really is brutal. Um, the best way to to kind of win that battle is to get the patient before they go in the hospital. Agreed. Talk to me about what you would recommend for like diversifying your referral sources. There's a lot of organizations that I've worked with and most likely you work with that focus on, on facilities, assisted livings, independent, and, you know, skilled. That's, that's where they start. And that's the, like 80% of their patients are in that facility, but that scares the shit out of me (laughs) because I, it just look at COVID. Right. Everything shut down. Right. And so talk to me about diversifying your referral sources and why is that important? Well, I think, I mean, you hit the, the, the nail on the head there with, you know, if you think about it, if, if we're focused purely on the hospitals, the skilled facilities, um, we're, we are basically saying that we're a post-acute provider and we're going to take your patients at the very end of life which we want to provide care for those patients by all means. I mean, as you know, a patient that's referred and dies within 24 hours is infinitely better than that same patient that was never referred. Um, But what we know is that we can't, you know, have the magic of hospice really develop unless we have the time with them. The problem a lot of times with focusing purely on skilled facilities and, um, and some of the assisted livings is that you end up with, with some very long length of stay patients uh, and, and a lot of times have you know, difficulty providing care in a skilled facility is, is difficult. 
Um, we want to dominate and we want to be their preferred hospice. But if that's our only um, our only source of referrals, you know, we have a very different business model and, and we're really not meeting the community needs. What we find in most cases is that, um, you know, organizations just don't do a good job of working with the physicians uh, and physician practices. And that's where they can get the biggest diversification. Now, if, if, if we go into a situation as a consultant and they've got all physicians and no facilities, then we're going to be looking at, well, how do we, how do we get into some of these facilities? But most of the time, it's just we don't do a good job with the physicians. And it's because it's, it's hard. It's hard to get the, the, the buy-in. And, um, you know, we, we did some research some years back about what it was that um, was the number one most important thing to get a physician to um, use an agency and start referring to hospice from their, their clinic. And we looked at, uh, of course, I overthought the whole thing, and we looked at this whole matrix of stuff, but it really boiled down to three things. One was, what did the doctor know about hospice? How did the doctor feel about hospice? And how did they run their practice? And, um, you know, what was surprising to a lot of people was the most important of those three components was how they ran their practice. Um, you know, what they know about hospice is important to understand. So you understand, you know, where they are on that, that knowledge spectrum. But at the end of the day, just teaching them more about hospice didn't cause them to actually refer more. Um, how they felt about hospice was important because if they're a huge advocate, then we want to help them be that advocate. Um, if they don't really think that hospice is so great or they feel like, you know, a lot of physicians, they feel like they're giving up when they call in hospice, then we've identified what we need to work on there to overcome that. But at the end of the day, what was most important to understand was how did they run their practice? So how do they see patient care? And we know that, you know, all doctors are different. It doesn't make them good or bad. It's just how they approach it. And, and some doctors want to know everything that's going on with the patient. Other doctors, their idea of a, a perfect hospice referral is they refer the patient to the hospice. And some number of months later, they get word that the patient has had a, you know, a very um, good death and um, have, has passed away. And that's their, you know, idea of a perfect, um, a perfect world. The other end of the spectrum, the ones that want to know everything, or these are patients that they've had in their patient population many times for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, um, that they really care about it. Knowing that and being able to um, develop the communication that's appropriate to get that information to them as easy as possible um, will make a huge difference. So, so I think it's, it, it really comes down to um, you know, being able to identify in any physician practice, you know, who the different players are um, and where the doctor is on that, those three elements, but most importantly, you know, how do they approach patient care? How do they run their practice? Yeah, and that's, I think, key is that hospice organizations, some of our weaknesses is sometimes we exclude that physician who's been in that life of that patient for 20, 30 years. And we're like, we got it from here. Instead right. of a collaboration. Right, right. Yeah, no, definitely. And, 
And, you know, I, I, it's funny because we, we do a lot of um, interviewing of, of referral partners and physicians for clients and stuff. And, you know, and, and sometimes you'll t- we'll talk to a, um, a doctor who used to be a big referral partner and, and just stopped. And, and the hospice is clueless on what happened. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times the answer to that question is that um, we had a patient on your service and um, the hospice neglected to let them know that the patient had, had died. And um, they found out about it some other way, like somebody called to set an appointment for Mrs. Jones or find out why Mrs. Smith didn't come in for their appointment. And they died three weeks before. Um, doctors don't like that at all. And, and we're, we're, we're just, you know, uh, and, and there's been situations. We had one case where um, they just hated this hospice and, and they told us that they'd hate it. So well, let's talk to them. We talked to them and it turned out that it had been seven years prior that they had, had the hospice had not let them know when their patient died and they still held a grudge on it. And it really was just having a, a conversation about it, letting them know what new processes had been put in place and everything else to make sure that they were notified as soon as the hospice knew about it. Um, and, and they were able to, to remedy the situation. But throughout all of our discussions with the sales team and the sales management and the leadership, you know, they were like, we'd ask them to identify five position practices that used to be good and weren't. And they were all just, they said, are you serious? That's what happened. That's what caused this. And I wanted to say, are you serious? Why didn't you ask? Right. Right. So um, it's, it's developing that relationship and then being able to customize the communication. And, um, and and I think that's where it's so exciting with with some of the things going on technologically now. I mean, hospice has not ever been a, a, a super high tech business and has certainly you know, been unsophisticated when it comes to using technology. But, you know, when you think about ways to um, have the, the folks in the, in the referral center or intake department know everything that we know about um, uh, the patients um, and, and, and or the referral partners and what they want, um, having the ability to, you know, have a, 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 a admission process that's not hugely duplicative and repetitive and, you know, if nothing else, that, that it's highly inefficient, but, but most importantly, it's not fair to the patient and family. I mean, by the time they're being, you know, interviewed by the hospice to find out what's going on and what their needs are and establishing a plan of care and everything, they've already told the story to, you know, God knows how many people. And at that point, typically they're dealing again with a tragic situation, a huge change in in their lives and, and with their loved ones. And if we sit there and put somebody on the phone with them, ask them a million questions, and then we send someone out to meet with them and they ask them the same questions again. And then we send out the admission nurse who comes out and asks the same questions again. It just starts things off on the long foot and it's just not fair to, um, to the, uh, to the patients. But the same thing goes for the referral partners. If we, you know, if they constantly have to explain to our intake department what um, is important to the physician and how the physician wants things done and what it is they need back from us or what kind of communication to be able to feel comfortable, you know, issuing a, a certificate of terminal illness, um, and they have to do it over and over again, 
we lose all opportunity to build that long-term relationship because they just don't think that we, you know, communicate, that we don't know what we're doing and we're, we're, you know, we're unorganized and waste their time. Well, and, and there's been many situations that, you know, I believe in in the hospice world, in the hospice field, we do have good intentions. Like, for instance, you know, we uh, I was working with an organization and they got had someone calling their communities like, hey, we're just making sure that you got your, all your meds for your hospice patients and making sure they get all the supplies prior to the weekend. Good intentions. But right. what those wellness people were like, I'm doing your job. Why are you right. calling me? I'm going to have to walk down the hallway and figure out all of this. You know, it's it, it really is putting yourself in their shoes. And you said something that is like like a, a key nugget from you. It's like make it simple and ask them how can you help them make a hospice referral the easiest process ever for them. It yeah. doesn't have to be difficult. Um, right. And there's so many things that I've learned from you, Michael, over the years that I still are, it's ingrained in me. And it is about qualifying, communicating, about, you know, making it easier, building trust. Um, and this is where I have taken your training. Um, but I really feel passionate that you have a training that I feel all hospice organizations or in home health should look at. How do people find you? And, and let's talk a little bit about what trainings are you what, out there? Are you meeting in person? And, and how do people get in touch with you? Well, thanks. And, and, and first off, Kimberly, I, I just I want to thank you for your kind words. I, I so respect you and, and the body of work that you continue to do and have done over the years. And so to have, um, you know, your accolades uh, means so very much. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Well, I mean every word of it, because I don't know if I'd be, be where I'm at without you. And that's, that's quite frank. <laughs> well, that's kind. Um, but I think as your listeners know, and your friends and, and passionate uh, followers know, um, you, you don't blow smoke. So that, that means a lot. Um, <laughs> I but, uh, uh, I, I think, um, you know, first off, I guess I'm not sure that our training is for all hospice organizations. If, if the hospices are really just, um, looking at, uh, this as a, a, a purely a business venture and, and are, are not really looking to, um, have that relationship with, everyone they serve and, and making it, you know, customer and, and patient centric, then, you know, you probably could use pretty much anybody's training. Um, but, but we really try and get to that, you know, get to that connection. And, and before I, and I, I love the question about what, what are we doing and, and how can you get it? Um, I, I did want to share one thing that, that, and I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, but for years, I've struggled with this challenge of getting people to understand that, you know, generically it's called needs assessment selling. And it's at the core of every great sales training um, program from Xerox training was probably the first back in the 50s or 60s to, to develop that and it's gone forward. Um, but making it easy for the person you're talking to is not asking them what they need 
Because if I ask them what they need, they have to think about it. And, and this was the breakthrough I had recently in, in, in that Henry Ford said that if he asked his potential customers what they needed, they would have told him faster horses, mm-hmm. right? What they wanted, though, was reliable communication and a way to get from point A to B easier and all of that. But had you just asked them, what do you need? The answer would have been faster horses. And, and I just thought that was like one of the best ways to kind of think about the process because it's not asking them what they need because they don't know necessarily what the options are or what they need. What they do know is that they have a problem. So getting them to talk about their problems, challenges, and frustrations is what needs assessment selling is all about. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. I just thought that was a really cool way to look at it. I think that's a very good point. You don't know what you don't you don't know what you need until you realize it, it's it it's twenty. Like for instance, how many families like I wish I would have heard about hospice sooner. They don't know that they needed it or was aware until it was too late. So good, excellent points. Oh yeah, no, I I, I mean to that point though you know, that's our biggest challenge, you know, and that's one thing that's, you know, I'm really passionate about is in our training, we always, and since we typically work with sales teams, we always try and get the sales teams to be the trainers for the rest of the organization, but everybody in the hospice world should be able to handle the objection, we're not ready yet, because it goes to the very core of what you were just saying, that the, the patients and families are so focused on not having hospice because they think that it's akin to pulling the plug or giving up or whatever, or hastening, um, you know, the, the the death of their their loved one, um, and they, so they don't know what it is and what it isn't. So being able to handle that um, that objection is just so crucial, and and it should be everybody in the organization that when they hear that they know that they need to let them know that you know this is what we hear from everybody we talk to at first. That, that they're not ready. But what they discover is that by having, you know, a clear understanding of what hospice is and isn't, that they can make a educated decision when the time is right. And if you, if, if organizations will just use that language, um, because it works, because it takes all the pressure off, we're not having to make a decision today. And our goal, when someone, you know, the word hospice comes up with a family member or, or, or a patient, is to be able to sit down with them and have them understand it. Um, so, so I think that that and, and that's really you know kind of I think indicative of, of the approach that we take to training is that we really want to be as an industry really good at helping the patients and families and the referral partners understand really the value of hospice and dispel the you know mis mis mistruths myths and everything else out there. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry, I went off on a, on a tangent, which I'm, I'm known to do. Um, <laughs> well, I want to, I want to say this, and this is what I've learned from you too, is, you know, and, and I use this all the time and people, people, I'm sure some clinicians want to shoot me sometimes, but when, when you have a, an organization that the default of a non-admission is patient and family not ready, that is, should be a red flag that people need to be trained yep, and how to handle that because no one is ready for hospice. Exactly. No one. 
And, and I have learned that from you. And, you know, it's easy for a clinician or even a salesperson to be like, well, they're not ready. And then you just walk away. And I, I, it's about language. And this is why I feel that your training has really, truly benefited me because it is taking the hospice speak that we tend to use, like eligibility and criteria. And anytime I hear a family member saying, well, she wasn't eligible, I, I'm like, how did you, where'd you hear that? Right. Because that's not... That's not that's not regular conversation, right? You know, and and so it's we're using we're talking a different language, and how do we go back to Dame Cicely Saunders' hospice where you take off the white coat and yeah. you kneel down and you ask the most important questions? Which I hear that you're sick, and what is the most important thing moving forward? What is it? What does that mean to you? What yeah. matters most from this moment forward? And and everybody is going to take a breath because it's. When you start off with that, instead of throwing up of what everything, making it about you, then you waste a lot of time because most individuals who are very sick, they want quality and pain-free. And really, you set the precedence when you ask the right questions in the right way to really dig down to know where this care plan should be set. Because hospices... Tend and and then this is my experience being back in the field. We tend to project the death that we think the patient should get instead of, <laughs> like you said, shutting up, asking questions, and shutting up, and then starting where the patient is right. versus what we think and where they think they should be. And I learned that from you, and I feel like that is probably the biggest lesson that I learned over ten years ago that people are still struggling with when it comes to hospice. Um, and this is why I'm a big promoter of get, you're right, not all hospices should have your training, but those who I work with absolutely should because I work with the organizations that see hospice as a field and as a resource for those who are facing end of life. Um, so let's tell my listeners, how do they get to you in some of this training. And um, because I think that is going, that is so important to me because I learned it from you. Um, How do people find you? Well, um, our website is um, Healthcare Strategica, which is just the word strategic with an A on the end.com. My email is michael at healthcarestrategica.com. So either way, go to the website and you can see what we have. That takes a little more time. The easiest thing probably is just to reach out by uh, email and say, hey, we want information or let's talk. Um, In my uh, email signature, there's a place you can uh, book a a 15-minute appointment to to talk anytime. Um, So definitely uh, is the easiest way to get get to us. Um, Right now, we offer our uh, basic training, uh, the eight-week hospice and public care sales training or the eight-week home health sales training um, virtually, it's on demand. Um, And then we have a a 52-week sales challenge course that's also on demand. Um, We have um, uh, coming up uh, towards the end of October, we're going to be doing a six-week advanced sales training course that's all brand new. We've done it live, but we haven't done it uh, virtually. Um, So that'll be coming up. 
we have, um, we were talking about, you know, the, the meeting with the patients and families. We have a, a webinar, which is a train the trainer webinar um, that goes through all of the, the elements of, of really making sure that you're having those conversations using the right language and everything else um, that's available. Uh, it is also, we include that in our hospice sales training because whether or not an organization's um, hospice sales professionals, you know, conduct those consent visits or, or everybody calls them something different, hospice 101, informationals, whatever it is, but whether they do it all the time or not, they need to know how to do it and they need to know how to um, have that conversation because they need to be able to step in in a situation at a hospital or a facility or a community center or anywhere else. And if there's someone that's in need, be able to sit down with them and have that conversation. Um, so, um, and so that's part of our training. Um, and so, you know, we, and then I have um, the definitive guide to hospice sales uh, book, which is also available on our website. So pretty much anything that um, uh, organizations might need, but, but I think the best thing is if we can have a, a brief conversation and identify what your, what their needs are and what they're struggling with or what their goals are they're trying to um, uh, to reach, then we can help make recommendation. And one of the things that, that I've felt very strongly about, and, and this all came under COVID when we had to shift everything we were doing from, you know, in-person training to um, online training, um, was that A, the online training needed to be as good, if not better, than what we were doing live. Um, but also needed to be really reasonably priced. Um, so, you know, we've, we've really gone uh, and made an enormous investment in technology and whatnot to try and bring the cost down so that the decision to outsource sales training um, is an easy one just from a, a price and value standpoint. And, and I guess the, the last point I'd want to make is that one of the, the, the biggest challenges that hospice organizations face today is, is really um, leveraging the time and talent of their sales leaders. Um, and so if you can outsource things like sales training and have best industry best practice sales training at a very reasonable price, and it is basically runs on its own and doesn't take a lot of time, it frees up so much of the time of sales leadership to to spend their time on that most valuable um, you know, use of their time, which is being out in the field and, and coaching their um, their team and working with the referral partners and the sales professionals and just continuing to build those community relationships and build the um, abilities of, of their sales team. And I, I guess I'm so passionate about what you've done and what you're doing, Michael, is because I've used it. I just finished. Um, and this is a great testimony of, of people that I bring on my podcast. I, I, I'm, I'm not a faker and I hired two people with not no hospice experience. They went through this eight week course and are the top performers of this organization. And that's, that is because of the training that I did with them with Michael's material. And that to me, your definitive sales book, oh my gosh, if I, I believe if you have a heart and you're in and you have a passion for hospice, those are key things in that book that it's it's 
it's really simple, but you, it really uh, you understand the process of what it takes to build trust and build loyal referral sources. So I tip my hat off to you and and please, I, I can't endorse it any more than to say that I've used it. I've bought it. Um, and I just highly recommend um, the training because it really is the way and the foundation that I have built you know, my career on um, building loyal customers and and doing it the right way. And, and that's because of you and what you and your impact on my life, Michael. I really highly it, just reach out to him, get this 15 minute conversation. It might not be right for you, but there's so many other people um, and organizations that it might be right for. And I would recommend um, this training to anyone who has liaisons in the field. And I just appreciate you taking time out and, and having this conversation, um, with me. I feel that it's important. Um, a lot of sales individuals and liaisons, they just need a, a, a strategy and how to approach this. And I think you have that, Michael, and that's why I wanted you to come on and, and we're struggling through this whole COVID thing and the rise and fall. And it, it really is important to know how to build loyal customers and build trust within your community and impact that community when it comes to palliative and hospice care. So I know that sometimes, Michael, you do not feel the full impact that you are radically changing how people live and die in communities but you are. Um, you might just be doing it through people, but I can tell you, you are changing how people live and die because of the material and the training that you're doing and implementing with tons of organizations. So on behalf of them and myself, I say thank you. Thanks, Kimberly. I, I greatly appreciate it. And I'm, I, as you know, a huge fan of all that you do as well. So um, I think um, we'll just continue to um, do everything we both can to help people have um, the actual, the, the best um, experiences at end of life, have the um, medical community. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it took a pandemic um, to underscore what we've been trying to tell the members of Congress and the members of the medical community and all that is that we're the solution. You know, when you've got, you know, high acuity, high cost patients and you know, not to get into all the statistics and everything else, but, you know, the number of dollars that are spent on, you know, patients at end of life, but it's spent in all the wrong ways and places. Um, yes, it is. Save money and provide better quality, quantity of life, dignity, comfort, all of those things. And and it, it I think it took a pandemic to really get the everybody out there to go, hey, well, what if we were to just keep people at home when they're in, in this kind of condition? So, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I, I think we have to count our, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, so I'm always going to find something positive in anything. Yeah, yeah. me too. Me yeah. too. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I, I'm really honored um, to know you professionally and personally. And um, thanks again for what you are doing. And I look forward to our next collaboration. As do I. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.